You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, Hartigan Stapes and Broughton invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I may be a little muted today because we're instead of recording at six in the morning, it's at one o'clock in the morning, and my roommate is way more likely to be awake at six in the morning than one in the morning. And already I'm shouting, I am Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. <laughs> he is my work wife, James Hardigan. Hello. And that cackle you heard was from my work abusive stepdad, Matthew Broughton. Shh, keep it down, Joe. People are sleeping. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, I have seen so many movies that we have talked about. I have seen La La Land. I have finally seen Rogue One. Finally. Wow, finally. I saw a movie called Blowout that James has mentioned, I believe, on either the live broadcast or this broadcast multiple times before. I've seen Arrival, which I forgot to tell Ooh. these guys beforehand. Bold my eyes out. <laughs> I and not. I have seen Casino Royale, which is lucky. Well, sort of. I watched parts of it back. More on that later on. Casino Royale is the main crux of today's show. James Bond and James Hardigan and all the poker you can handle without throwing your remote at your really expensive TV. <laughs> And we will be quizzing our super fan, Martin Knows It All. Is that what you said? That's how it's pronounced. Wow. And yes, that is his real name. He is well, from Chicago, and he will be joining us because he says Casino Royale is his favorite Bond film. Well, you know what I always say? If you're going to be a Knows It All, be right or something like that. I'm sure it'll work out later <laughs> in post. We've also got some World Series of Poker news to cover. And oh, yeah. I got to sit down with Kevin MFing Hart. That's right. I drove an hour in the Los Angeles heat to go to this crazy set where Kevin's shooting something for us. I can't talk too much about it. You'll see the end result eventually. But I did get to sit down with Kevin for 10 minutes. I know it sounds like a short amount of time. We'll get into that later on as to why it was so short. Before we get to that, let's get to social media and what is on our minds. James, have we got some tweets? We have got some tweets. I love the fact, by the way, that we're billing this as the Casino Royale show, not the Kevin Hart show. I think we may <laughs> have our priorities. He's doing fine. We may have our priorities slightly round the wrong way. Um, this will be a tweet that none of you will have seen because it was sent as a direct message to at Pokestars TV. It's from a chap whose Twitter handle is Red and Blue Army, and he says, Hi guys new to the podcast, and have binged on them for the past week. I love the self-deprecating nature of the shows and thought that you might appreciate this as a result. I would like to thank Joe for changing my life. Wow. Oh, God. Now, I thought <laughs> this was going to be a bit, right? But then I read the story and realised this sounds eminently plausible. Back in 2013, Joe went on a date with my now wife in London. She said that Joe. Oh, fuck. She said that Joe was such a douche, calling her narrow-minded for not watching South Park regularly, <laughs> talking about how often he masturbates and various other dating <laughs> faux pas. When she met me a week later, I was like a knight in shining armor in comparison. As a result, I am now punching above my weight, and it's all down to Joe. <laughs> Cheers, mate. That sounds so entirely plausible. Uh, I mean, it does sound incredibly plausible. Uh, it, it really does cut me deeply unfortunately i'm happy for this guy and i'm sorry that i could have ever come across as a douche i apologize i don't want to reconcile with this human obviously however i, I do feel bad about it i Fuck. think i think there might be there might be a way for you to monetize this joe because you could hire yourself out if you know imagine <laughs> imagine dave is about to go on a date with sally is that you step in first and see Sally a couple of nights before. Just be yourself is going to be my advice to you, Joe. Because I mean, then, I mean, you, you've set the bar so low that when Dave steps in to meet Sally, she's like, oh my God, it's so nice to meet a normal guy who doesn't talk constantly about his penis. The the, the douche story absolutely checks out because I have no recollection of this whatsoever. So clearly, <laughs> just for a chance. I am a douche. Um, we did say we wanted to hear from new people. We wanted to hear from people who just yeah. discovered the podcast or people who never tweet before. Stev Parlson says, I'm stuck at the garage getting work done on the car. Poker in the ears is keeping me sane. Yes. Thank you, boys. Yes. Win. And a lot of reaction to last week's show. And I'm really pleased about this because we joked about the fact that no one really joined in our conversation about the sting. Yeah. But better than that, we did inspire a lot of people 
to watch the movie for the first time. And I'm glad that we've helped people discover what for us is is, is a great cinematic experience. Uh, Lost in Poker has really enjoyed poker in the years. The Sting is actually a top ten of mine. He had already seen the film. Cool. Uh, to say nothing of hearing a fellow Kiwi on a stars-related poker show. <laughs> uh, Ray Say watched The Sting for the first time thanks to us and, crucially, he enjoyed it Yay. because it would be awful if someone dedicated two and a bit hours of their time to watching the film based on our review and then absolutely hated it. <laughs> Did anyone write in saying this thing was shit like when we watched uh, Win It All? No, interestingly, they didn't. Um, Mule Beats Drums says, I forgot to watch The Sting, so I paused the podcast as soon as the entertainer started, <laughs> then watched it, then obviously came back to listen to our review. Uh, really enjoyed the movie, but was annoyed that I knew the story because there was a cheap remake in an episode of the BBC show Hustle. Obviously not the fault of the original movie. <gasps> I remember what? that. I actually remember that. They did do a version of the Wirecon wow. in Hustle, which what I thought was fuck? a fucking awful TV show, by the way, that somehow ran for multiple seasons. Yeah, because um, they were ripping off great shit. Exactly. Mark, after listening to the latest episode of Poker in the Ears, thought he would splash out, and he's tweeted a picture of the Sting DVD in the bargain <laughs> bin. He managed to pick it up for one pound. Yes, I did see that. I did enjoy that very subtly in the bottom corner, a little cheaper. Look, chips sometimes, price. sometimes when you're going to buy something on, you know, if it's not high def, if you want to get it on digital, 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 it's only a pound these days. Um, Joe says, I really enjoyed classic movie Monday. The Sting is one of my favourites too. Another great poker movie, Big Hand for a Little Lady. Basically, Joe is nominating other films that we could talk about in future weeks. He also suggests Robert Altman's California Split. Mississippi Grind is a shell of the original because Mississippi Grind, which we have discussed on the podcast before, is a slight reworking remake of California Split. Is that officially acknowledged as a remake? I think it has to be. It has to be. Um, I think there's some good suggestions there. I think we'll put the feature on hiatus next week, which will be our last podcast before the summer break. But when we come back in August, I think we should definitely try to squeeze in one, if not two, retrospective movie reviews as well. We'll have time before Barcelona, right? Exactly. Talk your movies, Joe. Tell us about what you've been watching in the last seven days. Where do you want to start? Well, it seems let's start with Blowout because it seems a bit random all the others are contemporary movies Blowout a Brian De Palma movie from the early 80s why did you randomly watch that okay so I don't know if you know this or not but I have some hardcore movie fans that I'm friends with here in Los Angeles guys that want to be directors guys that want to be writers a couple of weeks ago when I was out of town they watched that uh, Robert Mitchum movie The Friends of Eddie Coyle and I was really upset to have missed that. And just like for you, James, I get you a bunch of uh, Criterion collections on occasion. Yeah. I had picked up Blowout for one of my friends. And they were like, look, you're back in town. Let's watch Blowout. And look, I'm one of those people who I really have a hard time watching older movies because they're a little bit slower paced. They're a little bit. Look, you, you, you admit this as much as anybody, right? You really have to take yourself back to the to the era in which it was made. And my friend god bless him before the movie started stood in front of the room and went here is the here is the context of this movie i think it um, is important to put movies in context and we'll, when we talk about casino Royale, we'll do that with casino Royale, even though it's only 11 years old um are you aware that this is a, a remake i was not aware as a remake actually again it's an updating and a reworking of a 1960s movie called blow up which is about a photographer who thinks he's witnessed a murder and may have captured evidence on film and obviously is kind of developing the film and, and kind of zooming in on the photograph to see if he's seen what he thinks he's seen and the kind of boundaries of what's real and what's imagined start to blur. It was a Antonioni movie with David Hemmings. What it's most famous for is that Hemmings plays this swinging 60s photographer who has like a three-way with these two models halfway through the film. And while okay, he's like, I'm interested, yes. And I'm while he's doing the photo session, he's doing the whole kind of, yeah, work it, okay, give it to me. And that's okay. what Mike Myers based Austin Powers on. There's a massive uh, amount of uh, David Hemmings' character in Blow Up in Austin Matt, Powers. Have you seen Blow Out, Matt? No, in fact, I'm quite sure I've never heard of it. Okay, wonderful. I thought it was decent. I thought it was very decent. And, and also, like, the way my friend described it was, like, this was probably Brian De Palma's best movie before he came, became Brian De Palma. And also, I was like, well, what about Untouchables? And he was like, that was an accident. Um, <laughs> uh, th and that movie was going to be good regardless. 
uh, and he just sort of was like, this is this was his like the movie that like put him on the map. And then after that, it was like really never quite the same. Um, I don't know. I think both Scarface and The Untouchables are pretty great movies. I think Brian De Palma right, was yeah, actually Scarface. pretty solid in the 1980s. It was the 90s where it all fell apart after Carlito's Way, which again, even though it's not particularly original, I still think is a pretty solid That's effort. That's a great movie. Let's keep it on a high because I think unfortunately soon we're going to hit a low. Can we talk about Rogue One finally? <laughs> I I was watching this on a plane. As we all know, you're more likely to cry on a plane. I cried like seven times during this movie. I don't understand. Really? Give me like give me two two places. What are the top two places you cry? Like every time they talk about like which one of the cheesy lines that you probably rolled your eyes at when she's like, "Rebellions are built on hope." Like I get chills. I fucking cry. I go back to my fucking childhood where I'm like where someone like believes in like a greater good and like believing in the like you, you, you when you guys were kids did you try to move things with your mind with the force yes obviously yeah and so like whenever this <laughs> happens in a movie i remember going back to like being that innocent okay no, so and, you weren't really emotional about the film you were emotional about it reminding you about okay, your sad that's, life it's, both, it's, no both <laughs> shut the fuck up <laughs> it's, a, it's the nostalgia thing because normally joe i will agree with you when it comes to being emotional during films and we both think that you know obviously broughton's got issues or maybe it's because of the firmware upgrade and they forgot the emotion chip but <laughs> crucially i'm kind of with matt on this one i love this film don't get me wrong and it obviously there's a massive amount of nostalgia in it but i can't say i was ever moved to tears ironically the death of the robot is the thing where I was most sad <laughs> in the entire film. But I mean, even then, I didn't weep. Don't get me wrong, towards the end, when you can feel that it's going to sort of dovetail into the beginning of A New Hope and you start to recognise the setup, and that gave me When chills. they're holding hands and, like, the fucking thing, the wave of, like, whatever washes over them, Do you nothing. know what, see, I, I kind of, I was, do you know, I was ready for him to die because he was getting on my nerves. And her, it <laughs> seemed a shame, but I kind of knew it was coming, so I can't pretend. I, it, I must admit, I didn't get very emotional. I just thought, and the end. None of it was a shock. That's the difference. You know this entire team, none of them is well, going to make it. Wasn't a shock because that film. guy ruined it on our timeline when he wrote hashtag Why did they all have to die? True. However, I do think you go in with the expectation that that's going to happen. But how awesome is that final battle sequence? And how awesome is the Vader corridor sequence? Oh, very cool. To finally see this scene that it was like literally the moment I walked out was like when they're all like sort of infiltrating this. Really cool planet, by the way, and kudos to them for coming up with a planet that we hadn't really seen before, this, like, Caribbean island planet, which was fucking awesome. And to see this final battle, yes, it was totally worth it, and I finally sucked it up and bit the bullet and watched it by myself, and I, I loved it. It really felt even more than whatever the last Star Wars movie was, which was very good. This felt like a real fucking Star Wars movie. Okay, let's move on because we need to get to the poker news. One, very quickly, right. Joe, La La Land. La La Land, um, as much as I didn't want to like it, as much as I was like, how could anyone who's not from L.A. or be in the entertainment industry enjoy this movie? I fucking loved it. I identified with Ryan Gosling so much, and I also cried my fucking eyes out oh, at the oh, end of this movie. Oh, come on. Uh, no, no, Which no. Which bit? When did you cry? So when what the again, first ten spoilers. minutes? I'm, I mean, I nearly left the cinema in the first ten minutes, but I didn't because I was going to cry. I struggled to get through the first ten fifteen minutes. It was so colourful and dancey and smiley and, and, and I nauseating. Because, but once and I got so through for it, for me, when I live in LA, that first scene, I know exactly where that shot and the traffic jam that's there is fucking wonderful. And so I, it spoke to me specifically. But I was like, I don't understand how anyone else other than me personally, Joe Stapleton could like this movie. And so at the very end where uh, it's five years later and she's a big star and she rocks up to his jazz club and you know, what's going to happen. You fucking know what's going to happen. I'm like, I think, I think you've got a lot of internal issues and films are just a conduit. I actually yeah, have less of an issue with you getting emotional during Rogue One than I do with you getting emotional during this movie. I, I'm with you. Do you know what? Now that you're you telling got, me do that. Do either one of you have like the one who got away? Like you're both fucking married. By this point, the movie had just was so up its own ass that I wasn't connecting to anything in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah it I all guess. just, it all just, I mean, it ruined Ryan Gosling for me, who I've always liked until now. And I just thought, do you know really? what? You, you both need a real good slap. Like, grow up. As I said, we are going to move on now because we have got poker news to discuss now. What's going on in poker today? Now it is time for poker in the ears news. 
And updates from the Wild Series of Poker. I've decided, by the way, we're not going to do any more in the running updates because the problem with the podcast is <laughs> the tournament is then over yeah. by the time yeah. you were talking about what happened when they were down to the final table. We're going to talk about what happened in the World Series 2016 right now. <laughs> so, uh, Daniel Negrano, the last time we spoke, he was heads up in Event 7. He came second. It was the 10K PLO8 Championship. He lost heads up to Abe Masseri. But Daniel now has a third and a second. He is bitching and whining about the player of the year ranking points because he feels he should be higher up. And we will discuss this with Daniel in person when he joins us on next week's show. Um, the only other result from the World Series I wanted to mention is Adrian Mateos, a player who's well known to us for winning in Buenos Monte Carlo. Dias, Adrian. <laughs> Back in 2015, and he won event number 15, which is the 10K Heads Up No Limit Hold'em Championship. He is now the youngest player to have won three World Series bracelets because he's only 22 years old, and he is closing in on Carlos Mortensen on Spain's all-time money list. I think Adrian's lifetime earnings are now pushing the $10 million mark. Wow. I didn't realize he was that young. Carl What's that? Sorry. I, I didn't realize he was that young. It feels like he's been around for like a pretty long time as one of our established, oh, and there's Adrian Mateus. But that's, that's ridiculously impressive. That's because of Europe, brother. Everyone starts at 18 years old in Europe where people are considered adults at 18 and can drink alcohol and can... <laughs> Oh, sorry. Buying firearms is only in America. <laughs> we'll leave that one. Um, I could just a couple of other quick things I wanted to mention, and we talked about these extensively on our live streams from both Monte Carlo and Sochi. The road to Barcelona is now on. Spin and goes are running, and this weekend, Sunday the eighteenth of June, is the first of the ultra satellites for Barcelona. Two hundred and fifteen euros to play with fifty packages guaranteed, and at a similar price point. The Sunday Million Live day ones begin on Sunday the 18th of well as well. Woo! Now remember, this is an on-live tournament. So it starts online, but once you make it to day two, it then continues live at King's Casino Rosvedov. One million euros guaranteed, and you can buy in directly for 215 euros. Satellites are running now on stars, but those day ones start on the 18th of June, running all the way through into August. Joe, just to warn you, don't sign up for it, okay? You're not going to be able to play it, so don't go, oh, I think I'll have a go at this, and then go, ah, oh, do you know what, I've just checked the lobby details, and yeah, I can't I can't do that. Matt, look, I, I, I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> no, it's, I, it's your money, you do what you want, love. I'm pretty sure that many Kevin Hart fans have downloaded this podcast knowing nothing about poker, not really caring what we think about contemporary cinema and have been <laughs> using that fast forward 15 seconds function <laughs> to get to this point where we bring you our interview with the biggest stand-up comedian in the world right now would you say that's a fair description that is a hundred percent fair description as much as i would not like to admit it for various reasons <laughs> um that is completely fair he is absolutely huge this interview was unlike no other that we have done, uh, or unlike any other, excuse the double negative, uh, that we have done so far on the show before, in that I got a phone call or a text from James that said, look, Kevin's going to be in L.A., can you drive to him on a particular day and interview him? And it turns out that he was on set doing something for us. I had to drive to the middle of nowhere where they were shooting on this enormous ranch, like this beautiful mansion with Lamborghinis, and just crazy views, like one of these idyllic Los Angeles, deep in the valley things that you've seen before. Um, but I have to tell you that Kevin works. I've never seen somebody work so hard. He's doing this long shoot for us. So they're like in the middle of a bunch of shots for like 20, 30 minutes. They call cut and they're going to reset. And while they're resetting, then his camera people take him off to the side and he immediately starts shooting something for them. And then they stop and then we're back doing our thing and then we stop and then there's another guy waiting to interview him. And so I got Kevin for 10 minutes during his lunch break. Now, I think Kevin would have sat down for longer with me, but genuinely I saw how hard he was working. And so I did not want to keep him longer for those 10 minutes. And also I did not want to stop him from eating Cheetos. <laughs> all right, first of all, congrats on the book going number one. That's Thank you, incredible. man. Thank you. It's cool that you care. I can see that you're like deeply invested in this. Yes, I'm. I'm extremely excited. I mean, I'm about to literally jump on the phone and make a bunch of calls because, you know, success. Uh, 
success is great, but I'm already thinking about how to expand on it and, you know, uh, move forward and make this a thing. You know, this is the first book, but this puts a taste in your mouth to want more and do more. It's the type of person I am. Do you cover anywhere in your book where your love affair, a love affair with poker started? Uh, there's a there's a moment of an escape uh, where. Uh, with my ex-wife, it was just anything that I wanted to do, she would do. But gambling in a whole uh, was just a moment. So it's not it's not expressed through poker. It's right. expressed through gambling because I think this is this is of course on the back half of my career um, when I could afford to take some lessons and play at the level that I play now, but learn a different level of love for the actual game. Before it was just the gambling aspect of it. But now it's transformed into the actual game, the community aspect of the game, the fun level of the game. Yeah, because I, I noticed just, in, money, money, let me how I get money. That's what it was in the beginning. I saw an episode of Real House Husbands where you play poker. Mm -hmm. The opening of What Now mm -hmm. is a poker opening. Mm -hmm. So you must have gotten into poker somehow before all this. Oh my God. Getting into poker and understanding poker are two different things. And I think that's the problem with a lot of people in the world now when it comes to poker. You know, the misconception of the knowledge that you need to have to play the game of poker, to actually have fun, is wrong. You don't have to be a pro. You don't have to be a math wizard. You don't have to be, you know, one of the tournament experts to make it a community fun sport. You know, in my eyes, when you look on my television programs, you look at the beginning of my movies, the reason why poker was involved because it was something that was always easy to add people in. Right. You always could add any and everybody into Inclusive, it. not exclusive. Exactly. And, you know, putting those people at the table, you're creating conversation. You're creating engaging moments that didn't exist at one point in time that now do for me. Yeah, I, when I watched what now, I rewatched it again this morning just mm -hmm. to brush up on it. And the way you were acting at the table was like a joke mm -hmm. in the movie. But for someone like me, I've been trying to make poker fun again for mm -hmm. years, and I love the fact that you're on board doing that. The mm -hmm. way you're acting that, even though it's funny, it's like, this would be fun to watch at a real poker mm -hmm. table. This mm -hmm. would be hilarious. This is, would be how I act. Mm -hmm. Because, like, there's no point to taking it super seriously. So what I want to know is, what else are you planning on doing to make poker fun again? Well, I mean, I think that you've been getting a glimpse. By you, I mean people that are, are fans and that have watched it. You see my introduction, and, and you see the personality that is now at hand. You know, um, I'm myself. I'm not a character. I'm not trying to be a facade of a version of who I am. I'm 100% authentic within my play. And in doing that, you know, people are forced to talk, to communicate, Do you think other laugh. people are joining in with you when you're... They'll have no choice, you know, <laughs> because even if you don't, eventually you'll realize that, yo, it makes the game better. Like, at the end of the day, I don't want to take away from the game. I want to make it better. I don't want to hurt the game. I want to make it better. I want to make it fun. I want to make it cool. I want to make it vibrant. And I think for a while, that's what the game has been missing. And as a fan of it, as a real fan, somebody that really, really plays the game, I want to take it to that level. I want to do what I can to get it to a fun place. And I think that I have a great opportunity to do that, you know? I think so, too. Are you going to have some fun with Usain Bolt? Oh, man. Listen, I, I, I'm already having fun with Usain Bolt, you know? Uh, I've known Usain for quite some time. But really? Yes. It's, it's, uh, it's, this, is, this is treading on, on shallow water, you know? This is my territory. This isn't a track. You know, this is what I do. I feel like even if it were a track, you would still go into it with the same amount of confidence. 100% I would. 100% <laughs> I would, and I would probably tell you that I've broken records. Even though I haven't, I would make Usain That's feel right. like I have, because it's a mind game. Right now, I'm in Usain's head. Before anything starts, I'm already in that man's head. He's thinking about me and what I'm doing right now. <laughs> in his head. check with him about that. Yes, you ask him. He'll probably say, I wonder what Kevin is doing. And you know what I'll say? Not thinking about you. <laughs> I mean, you were thinking about it just a little. Well, I mean, yeah, well, technically, if you break down because of the conversation and the way, we don't have to get into the schematics <laughs> of it, but you get my drift. You get I do get going. your drift. And so we expect some friendly competition between you guys in the future, of or course. not so friendly. It, 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 it can go on, on either side, but ultimately, any and everything is done in fun. And competition comes with thought, and comes with smarts, and it comes with, uh, with logic and strategy. So I think within the fun that we're having now, I can see it escalating and evolving into to so much more, depending if he can keep up or not. Do you think it escalates into something ugly and violent and horrific? I mean, not for me. You know, I'm what you would call a weapon.
<laughs> Ain't no way to hurt me, you know. I, I'm I'm over here looking like a a master plan, you know. When it comes to reflection, deflection, any type of defense, I have it. So I'm not the one who get hurt. It's him. I want to talk to you a little bit about that, actually, as far as it pertains to comedy. A lot of your comedy, self-deprecating, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Is it annoying for you when people you've never met before, strangers, walk up to you and think that they can make the same jokes about you that you make? Do you play along or do you get a little irritated by that? I don't get irritated by any of it. I mean, you, you're on a stage. You know, you're on a platform where people are watching you on a regular basis and laughing at you and with you. So, you know, you, you feel a high level of comfortability with that. That's why people approach you and joke and laugh because they feel like they know you. They feel like they, they're around you every day. So I don't frown upon that. You know, I engage. I allow them to have a moment and laugh with them. And after that, you know, it's, it's moving on. But that moment is a big moment to them. And that's something that they'll talk about for a long time. That's so really cool, actually. Yeah, I don't, I don't take that away from them. I allow them to have it and, and go on. That's, I'll go back and forth from time to time, but nothing crazy. That's a great attitude because I get irritated when people do that with me. That's my whole shtick is self-deprecating. They come up and make fun of me. I'm like, I don't know you. Mm -hmm. But that's a big you moment You got to look at it. It's a big moment for them. They're supporters. So it's like this. It's like, have you ever said hi to a person and a person says hi back and then there's an awkward moment of silence? And then somebody feels like because of that awkward moment of silence that they have to say something else. Yeah. You don't have to. I did that. I did that to you when I met you. Yeah. I was like, oh, we just been quiet with Kevin Hart for like 30 seconds. Yeah. I better try to be clever. Yeah, like you don't, you don't have to. So some people, some people literally go, all right, well, this is, this is, I got to do something. Hey, man, you like applesauce. And it come off being the weirdest thing. And you didn't have to make it the weirdest thing. You could just been quiet. You could have said, hey, what's up? And that could have been just as great of a moment as you trying to come and make a joke. Either way, I take them both, and I don't, I don't frown upon it like I said. I'm like, all right, cool. Whatever your moment was, I, I appreciate you. Because ultimately, you're showing some type of support for me and what I do. And I'm very, very thankful and humbled by that. That's really cool. I want to ask you uh, about your next poker stop. Will we see you in Barcelona? You will see me in Barcelona. Okay. The question is, is, is will you be happy when you see me? I mean, I'll be happy. Yeah. I don't think the other players will. Because hmm? seeing me <laughs> means that you're going to see trouble. Hmm? That's what you're going to see. You mean, I'm sorry, winning. you mean that you might beat them at poker or you're just going to irritate them? I think both. <laughs> both. Expect both. Have no. you found anyone to be genuinely irritated by you at this point, or no? Has everyone no. played along? No. I, well, no. I've gotten, I've gotten, under, <laughs> I've gotten under a couple people's skin. Uh, but it's not malicious. It's never malicious. It's just different for them. You got to understand, these guys are robots. They're used to staring at the table and staring at the cards and thinking and just thinking and thinking and thinking. So when you're somebody that pokes and you just keep poking, I'm taking you out of your comfort zone. When you start talking, you're in my comfort zone. Now, if you don't respond, you just make me sit at the table and talk to myself, then that's going to be hard for me. That's the way to get you, right? That's the way to get me back. But it's very hard to do that. How are you going to be around the funniest guy ever and not have a good time? Don't that's give tough. Kevin Hart any attention, yeah, guys. Like don't do it. It's the only way to tough. kill him. You're gonna you're gonna burn more energy by not trying to talk to me. Well, there's one guy in particular. I know you're playing the high roller in mm -hmm. Barcelona, mm -hmm. and uh, Mr. Fedor Hulse is gonna be there. Who a pitfall? I, that was a that was a lot of Cheetos in your mouth when you said that. He was pissed off. Is that Who's what pissed off? <laughs> I got Fedor. Fedor's a machine, but I saw that Fedor's got some personality in him. Oh, yeah, he's going to be funny. He's got some personality in him. You know, he was joking and playing back and forth. But, you know, he played around a little too much. He got off of his game. I didn't get off of my game. I was card dead for 24 hours. I mean, Do you think anyone's figured out how to play against you yet? Um, I'm not going to say no. These guys are great. I'm, I'm not going to discredit them in any way, shape, or form. You know, I've, I had the privilege of playing with some of the best players in the world, and getting knocked out 20th or 21st out of 54 players. You know, for me, these are baby steps. All small baby steps. But I'm going to get what I want. I don't know how to lose. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how to lose. I only do things to eventually do them at the highest level possible. Well, so, I can tell because your book just went number one. You're mm -hmm. working three jobs today. Mm -hmm. I'm going to cut you loose very soon. One big part of your book in listening to the Howard Stern interview is that your dad plays a big part of the book. Yes. Uh, your dad, is he a good or a bad poker player? My dad, my dad is a horrible poker player. My dad laughs whenever he has a good hand. He just starts laughing. Because it seems like he's pretty good at the whole bluffing thing, but I guess it's off the table. Yeah, off the table. Off the table, bluffing at the truth is his biggest, his biggest quality. 
on a poker table, <laughs> he just starts laughing. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, he's welcome at the poker table yeah. anytime. You, you would love my dad, but if you're playing for anything more than pennies, you're not going to be able to play with my dad. We play penny poker. Cool, man. I mm-hmm. appreciate your time. Thank today. you. Thanks a lot, Kevin. I appreciate you, man. Continue success. Thank you. Poker in the ears. You know, Joe, as much as I want to hear more from Kevin Hart, I'm actually quite pleased the interview was only 10 minutes long because I'm not sure I could bear any more Cheeto's bag rustling. <laughs> it wasn't well, that bad. What's crazy is that um, he's shredded. He had his shirt off during the interview, and one of the things I didn't get to ask him is he is fucking in ridiculous shape, like completely shredded. So when he grabbed the bag of Cheetos, first of all, I was crazy flabbergasted that he could ever put something like that in his body. Um, but I obviously was not going to begrudge the guy some Cheetos. Now, he was on Howard Stern this week, as uh, you guys heard me mention a few times during that interview. And during that interview, he said... I'm always happy to help out young stand-up comics, people who are just getting started. And as much as we joke on this show about me like hitting people up for like passing my headshot and my resume along, I'm generally very professional. I really don't fuck with people. I don't ask for selfies. You'll see there's no selfies of me with like Kevin Hart or any other celebrity we've ever had on the show. But when we finished the interview, I just said, look, man, I got to gush for a second. I'm about to do my second ever set at the comedy store in LA. And I just interviewed the most successful standout comic in the world. And I just want to say it was an honor. Thank you. And when I said that he immediately perked up, I got to give him a lot of credit. He was fucking awesome. As soon as I said that he would like, he like turned off the Kevin Hart mode and was like, Hey man, that's great. And was like really encouraging and really gave me some fantastic, amazing advice had it been my first year doing stand-up comedy. <laughs> oh, well, the good news is we look forward to seeing Kevin in Barcelona when he's yeah. back on the PokerStars Championship. So we're going to spend the rest of this week's podcast with another one of our classic movie Mondays, regardless of what day of the week you're listening to the show, uh, taking a retrospective look <laughs> at another movie where poker plays a huge part in the plot. And that movie is one very dear to my heart because it is a 007 adventure. It's the James Bond movie, Casino Royale. To be clear, the 2006 version. Um, just to put this in a bit of context, <laughs> guys, because I think that is necessary to explain why this movie is so different from every other Bond film that came before. If you think about it, 2002 was when Die Another Day came out, and I think we can all agree that that film was an utter shit show. (laughs) I I was fine with it. Most people weren't, and the filmmakers genuinely felt they'd pushed things too far, they'd gone in the wrong (laughs) direction. They did, and they almost apologised and said, we probably misjudged what audiences want from a Bond film in the early 2000s. And bear in mind, we're now living in the post-9-11 world. And two key things happened in the years that followed. Can I guess at one of them? Because one of them was huge for me, was Jason Bourne happened. Yes, that is one, which I think, and I think Bourne very much re-established what people expected from the spy genre. The other thing that happened is Batman Begins came out and that showed that you could reboot a franchise, that you can basically ignore everything that's gone before and start from scratch. And they then phoned Pierce Brosnan and told him, I'm sorry, Pierce, but we've decided to move on without you and move in a different direction. Your service. Remember that no time you required. were going to be James Bond, and then we yanked it away from you. That again, only you already <laughs> were James Bond. Exactly. So they recast. Obviously, as we know, Daniel Craig became James Bond, and something very fortunate happened. For years, they had not had the rights to Ian Fleming's first Bond novel, Casino Royale. They now had those rights. They were able to do the movie in a modern setting as an origin story for James Bond put it in the modern world, change it from Baccarat to poker, and let's not forget, in 2006, height of the poker boom, a very popular game, and then came, in 2006, Casino Royale, the film that we will discuss today. And Matt, I'm sure you remember seeing it for the first time. Well, it was one of those rare occasions where I was genuinely properly excited about a Bond film because, you know, we we discussed this with the previous kind of conversation, but as a kid, it was Roger Moore on TV, ITV, you know, Sunday afternoon and Easter and Christmas and all that kind of stuff. Cheesy shit. Exactly. And it was very much like an entertainment film. It wasn't like I never saw Bond as like this gritty thing. And then the Brosnan and the Dalton years kind of passed me by. I think I saw a couple of the the Brosnan's ones, and we've spoken about how I'd never seen the Dalton ones. But by the time this one came round, 
I was excited because all the build-up kept making reference to the Bourne influence, yeah. and I loved that, and I thought, well, that's a good sign. Also, one of my favorites, still one of my favorite films, is Layer Cake. Yeah. And that was the first time I'd really seen... I hadn't seen that yet. So seeing, like, like seeing Daniel Craig in that, it was like... A lot of people that were freaking out when he was announced, I was like, actually, I can really see that working because that was pretty much the only thing I'd seen a him in. A blonde Bond, Matt? Exactly. And I was like, I'll grow up. But actually, having seen him be kind of both intelligent and quite cool, but also a bit more getting dirty and... I thought I just I was just excited because I thought he would be the real key well, proposition. Layer Cake was the film that was the decider. It was based on that performance, based on that movie that everyone decided this guy is where we're going. Right. I can honestly say I was in the camp where I was unsure about whether Daniel Craig was a good move. Oh. And that's because I saw him in a BBC TV drama called Our Friends in the North in the mid-90s. I thought he was a phenomenal actor, but he just didn't seem right for Bond. And then, of course, he was the bad guy in Road to Perdition, the Tom Hanks movie from uh, the early 2000s. Mm. And I hadn't seen Layer Cake at this point, and I really was I really had my doubts. So ironically, I went into the film with low expectations. Yeah. No, and I just I just remember being blown away with that that chase sequence at the start. I mean, I just remember liking it all like just from a stylistic point of view. The fact it had poker in it, whether the poker was very good or very realistic, kind of didn't matter to me so much. And I know we'll pick that apart in a bit. I just remember it being a real roller coaster ride. It was also really key for me because, like, incidentally, I had just taken over the editorship of a poker magazine. And I inherited it right on the cusp of a deadline. And my, my front cover, my first front cover, which was meant to be my introduction to the world, was this horrible potato head picture of Howard Ledra. And I went to bed the night before it was due to go to press thinking, I really don't want this to be my, my, first, my first cover. And the only other image we had is that all the pictures of Daniel Craig's Bond had just been released. And I was trying to work out how on earth can I justify having that on a front cover. But I went into the art editor the next day and said, let's just use it and we'll find a way of making it relevant. And that actually completely shaped all of the design for the magazine. We never did a poker player on the front cover ever again because it just seemed like all the poker magazines did it. And also that opening animation in Casino Royale, all the kind of the fractal. Yeah, so good. It was so sexy and we stole a lot of that design kind of vibe just to, to make the magazine look different. So it had a real big impact on me beyond just loving the film and having watched it multiple times. It actually kind of got its seeds into a lot of the work I did for the next couple of years in the game gaming industry just because it gave us the tone for the magazine I was in. Joe, as someone who likes a lot of the shit Bond films and likes a lot of the over-the-top stuff... <laughs> oh, wow. What a setup. I mean, what was your reaction to the kind of hard-edged, more gritty, more grounded Bond? Okay, so in the years uh, leading up to this movie, I saw Jason Bourne and I was like, I thought I was a Bond fan. Turns out, what the fuck are they doing? Why aren't they making movies like this? I also saw movies like, and I hate to say it, but movies like The Mummy that were like more fun and had like a better mm. protagonist uh, than the Pierce Brosnan Bond that I had seen. So I was, I was ready. I was ready for the reboot. I was just like Matt, the first 30 minutes of this movie, I was like, as cliched as it is, I was like, Bond is back. Like, that was my fucking headline. And, and when, when he, like, that, in, uh, there's that key moment where he runs through a wall at the very beginning and you go, this'll do. I like, I like <laughs> a James Bond that rather than saying, all those feathers, that you like the guy that just runs through a wall because it's in his way, you think, I think we might be okay here. It, it wasn't just him. It was the also the skill level of the bad guy yes. who was all of a sudden doing parkour, which was something that, uh, you know, you had seen in District B-13. When I saw that movie, I fell in love. I was like, why isn't every movie doing this? And the Bond finally caught up. And I love this movie throughout. I also, we'll get to the poker later, also didn't care that much about how bad the poker was except for the final scene. But um, – Unfortunately, I actually walked out of this movie with a bad taste in my mouth saying I didn't like it that much. And it was kind of the reason why you would say like that you're like disappointed in one of your children because you expect so much of them. And when the movie ended where it did, I felt I was like it's such a cock tease. I was like, <laughs> this is fucking bullshit. I am so angry right now that I have to wait another two or three or four years for them to continue what's happening here because I felt incredibly unfulfilled at the end of this movie the first time I saw it. Yeah, because, I mean, I loved the ending. I loved the fact that it left you with, he has now established himself yeah. as Bond, James Bond. He is here. And do you know what? Even if they didn't continue 
that particular narrative. And we kind of thought that they would and pick it up in the next film. Sadly, not that successfully. Even if, in your imagination, he now tortures this guy for information, it was enough to end on that Yeah, point. it's a bit like Neo flying off at the end of The Matrix. I'm not pissed off because I want to see more of it. I'm just like, oh my God. And your head just starts spinning. So I'm, I think I'm with you on this one, James. I, I, I love the end. I felt it. the exact same way when I saw Lord of the Rings, when I saw Fellowship of the Ring. And, and it ended with them like walking off further. I was like, what the fuck? This is not how you end a movie. Yeah, I mean, overall, and bearing in mind that I did go into this film with relatively low expectations, I was utterly blown away. I love the fact that they realised that you don't have to make the pre-credit sequence larger than life and like 20 minutes long with some ludicrous stunt sequence. It was gritty. It set the tone for the movie, that glorious... Also, let's talk about the fact that this is one of the best Bond songs of all time. Like, top three for sure. Um... Top five, for sure, shall we say. I'm a big fan of it. I think it very much puts Bond in the modern age. They clearly wanted to do something very different. And bear in mind that they had to build the entire score around that melody because you don't hear the Bond theme until the very end of the film because this is the becoming Bond story. But the melody is very close to the Bond theme to begin with. Oh, absolutely. Chris Cornell just did a fucking fantastic... And whoever he did it with... It's David Arnold. David Arnold was the guy who co-wrote the opening theme and obviously wrote the score for the movie. But that pre-credit sequence filmed in Prague at the building opposite oh, the Hilton God. where we stay for the uh, Pope Stars Championship. Oh, sweet Lord above. But <laughs> also that amazing fight sequence in the bathrooms and how brutal it is. Yeah. And you're thinking, oh, never seen this in a Bond film before. And then you follow that up with the amazing free-running sequence. I remember seeing that in the cinema. I have an issue with heights, as previously discussed in our conversations <laughs> with Chris Moneymaker about bungee jumping. I was sitting in the cinema gripping the seat in fear when they are running up those cranes because you know that even if they're clipped to those cranes there are stunt people actually doing that and the jump from one crane to the other someone had to do that it's absolutely insane i think you guys find that in movies in general though that like so when i i I didn't get a chance to rewatch all this obviously because i spent six hours trying to track down kevin hart today but i i did rewatch some of it and do you find that when you watch something at home, you're way more aware of where the green screen is than when you watch something in the theater? No. No, I think I have a problem believing anything anymore because there's a part of me just thinks, right. well, they oh, could have... Oh, special effects are so good these days. Exactly. And that, that there was, I did have that moment back at Jurassic Park where I came out the cinema going, I can never trust anything I see. And also, I, I kind of, my brain goes, well, they might have got two guys up on a crane. Or they might just be like two foot up and it's all green screen. And I never really but know. that was one of the things with this film. They wanted to do stuff for real. They didn't want to Practical. use overuse CGI. They didn't want to fake it. And it does feel real. I do think yeah. you can see the difference. Every single set piece in this movie, I think, is absolutely fantastic. From the free-running sequence to the um, the closing sequence in Venice, yeah. the machete fight on the stairs. Yeah, it's there's there's a rawness and a brutality to it. Again, probably from the influence of the Bourne films that really fits the kind of tone of this it's- film. It's not just that, though. It's their reaction to it afterward, which is actually something we had never seen, I don't think, before in a Bond movie, where the two of them are literally sick about it. Um, And that, like, really made things, I think, a lot more raw and a lot more real. And I really, that's maybe the best scene in the whole movie is the two of them in the shower together. And Bond afterwards, like, you know, shakily pouring himself a drink and trying to wipe away the blood going back to the uh, notorious. I see you changed your shirt, Mr. Bond. (laughs) (laughs) Um,. Watching it again, and I haven't seen Casino Royale since probably 2011. It's been five or six years since I last saw it. And I've always believed that you can't make a final judgment on movies until time has passed. Mm-hmm. Which is why I've always felt like movie awards should be done like five years later. Yeah, yeah. That we Right now, we should be doing the Oscars for like 2012. Yeah. Um, I actually believe that not only is this a great movie, it's probably the greatest Bond film ever made. Wow, holy shit, what a statement. I just think it's fantastic. I think that the the story is compelling. It is rooted so much in the basic storyline of the book, fleshed out with extra stuff that, again, puts it in a modern setting and makes it relevant. Um, I think the dialogue is good. The characters are well-rounded. It's so well cast across the board. I think Mads Mikkelsen is just a superb villain because he's understated. Okay, he's got the classic Bond villain cliche of having the kind of the scarred eye and the and the weeping blood thing, but he just 
exudes menace without actually having to be that physical. We haven't talked about the torture sequence. Of course. I mean... Inventive. Eh, do we have to? That really disturbed me. It I is disturbing. Like, is, this, is this what I think is happening? Happening? Like, yes. I saw... I actually have a long history, and I should go into this a little bit, of the movies I see with my dad, I don't always love right away. I saw Zoolander with my dad, didn't love it right away. I saw Austin Powers with my dad, didn't love it right away. I saw Superbad with my dad, didn't love it right away. I saw Casino Royale with my dad, didn't love it right away. And my dad is a tough nut to crack, and you know you're heavily influenced by the people around you in the theater. And so, and th- watching this scene with my dad was incredibly uncomfortable because I was like, "Does first of all, do I understand what's happening here? Second of all, does he understand what's happening here?" <laughs> yeah, taken directly from the book um, w- with a twist. I think it was a carpet beater in the book, and obviously he's got the rope with the massive knot in it in the movie. Mm. But it's a really d- obviously dramatic sequence. And again, I think Mads Mikkelsen is excellent. By the way, this is the one scene which the British censor decided to make a couple of trims to to secure the film a 12 rating in the UK. Oh. Bizarrely, in America, Joe, they left that scene untouched. However, They left it seventeen, the full 17 minutes it was intended to be. <laughs> however, in other scenes in the movie, suffered. And the opening fight that we've mentioned in the bathrooms from the yeah. black and white pre-credit sequence, the machete fight on the stairs, the American censors made significant cuts to those sequences to secure a PG-13. Oh. Um, but I'm pleased to say, if you want to track down an uncut version of the movie, the Blu-ray release in the UK, the 50th anniversary box set release, that is the uncut version of the movie. We have the same box set, we right? Do, did yes. we get them together? We okay, because I, when I rewatched it, I did see those <laughs> scenes at the beginning again, but I couldn't remember any significant differences. When you when you bought them, were you holding hands both wearing tuxedo? Did you all go off on a little James Bond shopping trip, did you, lads? We were holding something, but it wasn't hands. The best thing about re-watching this film is this is the first time I've seen Casino Royale since Joe and I recorded a series of Casino Royale-themed skits in the Bahamas one yeah. year at the one and only Ocean Club. That's all I could think about when I rewatched this. It was like <laughs> me coming out of the ocean with that stupid bathing suit on, driving around the the uh the front circle like bond does yes. but in a golf cart i remember that obviously bruce baggles was shooting those scenes and we had a, a, a copy of the movie on an ipad because bruce is studying every single shot so that he can match the angles wow. and while we're watching it we realize oh we're actually sat in the room where the poker game is played in the ocean right. club and it's just a lounge it's not a poker room there's no casino here the movie lied to me <laughs> this is fictional stupid lying movies I just want to read a few tweets before we get into the nitty gritty and get into the poker scenes. Okay. Uh, Andy Gibbons, who we know is both a poker fan and a movie scene, says, Loved Casino Royale as a way to reset the Bond franchise. Great atmospheric opening, brilliant parkour chase, and some gritty torture. Just a shame the poker scenes are a load of old tosh, especially the final hand. Did they all limp pre? Um... Ironically, <laughs> I don't think the final hand is the biggest problem with this movie. More to come. Oh. Uh, Artem Korolev, another former superfan. What a hot take. Had no clue about poker in 2006. Enjoyed every minute and every scene. The movie just tastes good. Great first time Bond for he Daniel. just enjoys the fact that it's not a Russian villain for once. <laughs> I used to watch Casino Royale before every home game and used to be as fishy as the hero playing 5-7 out of position. <laughs> uh, just realized there is no dealer button on the table in Casino Royale. Lol. Still love the movie. Uh, Todd Nysoff says Casino Royale is not one of my all-time favourites, but Daniel Craig is my favourite Bond. Hashtag there, I said it. I don't understand how Daniel Craig can be your favourite Bond, but this not be your favourite Bond movie. Does not compute. There I, there I said it used to be a hashtag on Huff and Staves. I'm wondering if he is uh, when we... When, it was before Hot Takes was a thing. It was like, you know what? Um, Roger Moore, best Bond. There I said it. So right. um, I'm wondering if he's referencing that. But uh, look, wait, so what do you think? No, because here's the thing. Daniel Craig is my favourite Bond, but I still think Goldfinger is the best Bond movie. Sure, I guess that's fair enough. Um, the poker scenes, I know that the last scene has been analysed to death. Flush against full house, against full house, against, you know, straight straight flush. flush, And the whole way it's done with the slow roll at the end, it's so dumb and stupid. The biggest problem... we're not objective. We can't really make a call on that. No, this is objective, though. This is genuinely objective, because I actually don't care about the hands. What I do care about is the unnecessary other characters in that scene. It should be heads up. It should be mono a mono, bond against villain. 
take those other guys out the equation, please. But don't we need I mean, Felix? I mean, Felix just ends up, when I watched it again, I forgot what a douche he is at the table. Like, he's chucking his chips in and he's, like, talking but, about, oh, no, well, somebody clearly knows no, something. I, I, oh, absolutely. I don't mind it being whatever it is, a 10-seater sit-and-go. I'm just saying by the time we get to the end, it should be heads yeah, up. Yeah. It doesn't need to be a four-way all-in. And with the way the guy so proudly goes, yeah, it's my underbet as I call all in for four million. Um, <laughs> and by the way, I should bring up, I, I was just just rewatching this. When he calls for four million, they made the big blind a million. So they're all in for four big blinds <laughs> yeah, and then six big blinds. And then 12 big blinds. And then finally, Bond puts in 40 big blinds. But really, <laughs> they, that all in for 6 million is for six fucking big blinds. Yeah, but he so was hoping. anything about poker. The thing is, Joe, he'd been hoping to ladder up. He'd been, he'd been nursing a short <laughs> stack. <laughs> no one can work out if this is a cash game or a tournament. People are tipping with yes, chips from the top. Yes, that's another great point, is, is that everyone seems to be quite confused about this multi-million game they're it's playing in. winner take all cash game. <laughs> the biggest problem with the poker in this movie is actually what I call the fake bluff hand. One of the twists is that Bond has spotted the fact that Le Chief has a tell. When he's bluffing, it's a double reverse tell! When he's bluffing, the, the, the eye twitching happens, and it happens in the hand where he has the deuces, and he just gets lucky. He catches runner-runner to make a full house. That's a decent hand in the mm. grand scheme mm. of things. Yes, that hand is perfectly fine. As I think also the hand in the Ocean Club is fine too, where they go all in, all in with the car and everything. I agree. Yeah. I quite like it, because all of the way the dealer goes, table stakes only, so he goes, well, this is on the table, and Bond's like, yeah, I'll allow it. And it's quite a fun kind of acknowledgement yeah. to the fact that you can't pull your checkbook Correct. out. Correct. But the fake bluff hand, Bond having told both Mathis and Vesper that he spotted Le Chief's tell, one of them obviously gets to Le Chief and says, um, he's on to you, so you might want to do a reverse tell. But the hand in question, Bond has a full house. He's never fucking folding there. It's a cooler. Full house against quads. It would have been so much better if Bond had made some ridiculous a hero, hero call, call right? yeah. with ace high or yeah, a single yeah. pair yeah. and been like, oh my fucking God, he's got quads. Hashtag because death when by Le, quads. Because when Le, when Le Chiffre goes, oh, you thought I was bluffing. And I was like, well, you don't really have to think a guy's bluffing to call the full no, house. The bluff is irrelevant. And when she's having a go at him on the balcony, like you let your ego get in the way. He had a fucking full house. <laughs> he's never folding there. <laughs> Yeah. I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I you can you can see why the final hand happens the way it does for like a storytelling point of view. If you're telling this story to like a, your grandchild, you're like, and one person turns over a flush, and the next person turns over. It's like the it's like the bears, right? And like one porridge was too cold, and you're like, well, why didn't she just fucking go to the middle one right away? That's where we know. Um, but yes, this hand where like. That's that's way more egregious to me is the hand yes. where he's like, you thought I was bluffing. And he's like, no, I just had a fucking huge hand. <laughs> exactly. Cooler, not uh, not a misread. Um, but overall, and I'm sure we all agree on this, it doesn't matter. For me, as someone who grew up with James Bond and loves poker, James Bond playing poker, yeah. I don't care. It was just awesome. And the poker scenes in the grand scheme of things don't form that much of the movie. But overall, I'm so glad I rewatched this because... I think I love it more than ever now. I think it's dated so well. Yeah. It feels as relevant today as it was in 2006. And I think this film will stand the test of time. And I'm going to say it's because it's the first Bond movie in decades to carry that all-important credit based on the novel by Ian Fleming. Solid source material, great characters, really well written. And it's a shame, as good as Skyfall was, that... Daniel Craig has not been able to repeat that in terms of standard. He he peaked too soon. Yeah, I think that's the sad thing is it feels like that was the one Daniel Craig bond where he really turned up and engaged and everything after that he started looking a bit tired and haggard. And I know in some instances that's because the story demanded him to be falling apart a bit. But I could have done with at least two more of him just being absolute in his prime, running through doors, brutally smashing people's faces into toilets. I mean, I also think the series became a victim of its own success by the end where they had a bit of a misstep with Quantum of Solace, but I saw what they were going for. Yeah. See, then I like Skyfall. That. I like that one. I, I, sorry, don't, I, don't, I... I don't disagree with you, Matt. I think Quantum of Solace is better than many people give it credit for. I, I think like... it's perfectly fine. Yeah. I've rewatched that a number of times, it's... and i got to say I'm a big fan well, of it. Well, it's biggest flaw, Quantum of Solace. And one. let's draw attention to two other great things about Casino Royale. It's shot beautifully, and it's so well edited. The pace is spot on. Unfortunately, Quantum of Solace is so badly edited and the action scenes, 
it's impossible to follow what's going on. Yeah, I'll accept that. <laughs> anyway, I we're... actually think that Corner of Solace, it falls into the same sort of pitfalls that a lot of the other Bond movies do, where it's super uneven. It's crazy boring at parts. There's action sequences where you're like, what? But the overall story, you're still pretty fucking invested. And the experiment of doing a Bond sequel, you've got to give them credit for that. But Casino Royale is the subject of this podcast, and it is the subject of this week's Superfan Quiz, Rewatching the film, Joe, I was able to put together some really tough questions, so I hope you're ready. Superfan versus Stakes. So at this point, I was meant to introduce Martin Knows It All from Chicago, but it seems Martin doesn't knows what time it is or knows what day of the week it is because <laughs> he is not responding, um, which is annoying. Because obviously we did have more than one person apply to be this week's super fan, and Martin was chosen by the random draw and seemed to be okay to do it in the middle of the night, Chicago time. But it seems that we are going to have to have a super fan contest between Joe Stapleton and Matt Browson. Yes. Look, he he knows it all except for how to you know set an alarm. I mean, the thing is, now I understand why you brought me in permanently, because ordinarily at this point, you'd have to walk the halls of the office just trying to randomly find someone who might have once watched a Bond film. Backup plan. And I'm happy. I'm happy to be available. Well, it's good because you've rewatched the film. Joe, you know it relatively well, and you've rewatched part of it. So hopefully this should be a pretty even contest. Can can you imagine if this had been the week where it was about Bones, which neither me or Joe seen, or Trailer (laughs) Park Boys, which neither... This would be a real real stretch. But I think we can give you a good run for your money because I'm sure, James, that you spent a lot of time on these questions. Uh, Two things to say, by the way, is that obviously uh, Martin would not have been eligible to win the Barcelona ticket because he was in the United States of America. I am. I'm going to roll it over to next week. And... Because one of the other fans who applied to be the Casino Royale fan will be coming on next week to talk about the movie Top Gun. Yes. So, Joe, if you want to revisit that film, Danger's that will be out. the subject of next week's Superfan Quiz. But right now it's Casino Royale. We are entering the first round. Matt, you are sitting in the seat of our guest. Yes, thank you. Um, Hello. The first round is called Name the Character Played By... Dot, dot, dot. Okay. And I need a number between one and six. Uh, six. Number six... Eva Green. Uh, Vespa. That's one point. What's the surname? Glockenspiel. No, it was Vespa Lind. You do get one <sighs> point, though. And for a bonus point, is she in the book? No. She is in the book. Oh, Joe, a number between one and five, please. Two. Number two. Number two. Jeffrey Wright. Felix Leiter. For two points, is he in the book? Yes. For a bonus point, Joe leads 3 1. Matt, 1 3 4 or 5? 1, please. Katarina Marino. Right, hang on. She'll, she'll be the blonde one. Uh, she's she's uh, Doreen Blondenton. No, she's not the blonde one. <laughs> oh. She's Solange, the one who ends up kind of twisted and sandy the in Greek the hammock. Guy's wife, oh, yeah. yeah, I would. Now, you could still get a bonus point, though. Okay. Is she in the book? No. Correct. 3-2. Joe, 3-4 or 5? 3, please. Giancarlo Giannini. Fernando... (laughs) uh, Giancarlo. No, his name is Rene Mathis. Oh, what? I couldn't have... I could have stolen that one. No stealing in this game, I'm afraid. Uh, Is he in the book? Yes. He is, and that gives you a 4-2 lead. Matt, Jesper Christensen. Don't I get a choice of four or five? Unbelievable. No, you don't. You get Jesper Christensen. Jesper Christensen. That'll be... That'll be the... That'll be Brian the Dealer. Okay, I know I can't get... I can't steal, but I'm just going to... Just for, you know, just for showboating. That's Mr. White. It is Mr. White. Matt, is he in the book? Yes. No, he's not. Uh, (laughs) Run so bad on this. Now, the reason reason why I didn't give you the choice is I gave you the easier one there. Oh, okay. That's very kind of you. Joe, Tobias Menzies. He is Demetrius. No, he's not. He's Villiers. Is he in the book? No. No, he's not. So you do get the bonus point and lead 5-2 after the first round. By the way, Tobias Menzies, it was quite funny to see him in the film because, of course, he was Lord Edmure in Game of Thrones, the one who actually gets married at the Red Wedding. Yes. Yes, I recognized him when I was watching it earlier, and I was like, who's that fucking guy? Now I know. Now you know. Uh, We enter the main movie trivia round. Matt, 
You're going to have four questions Thank all you. to yourself. Good. You get to choose from four categories. Okay. The categories are... <laughs> this is so funny, isn't it, Joe? <laughs> Miami, Bahamas, Montenegro or Venice? Uh, I will go with Montenegro, please. Montenegro. What alias is Bond given for the mission at Casino Royale? Uh, I can't remember. I'm afraid. Pass. It was Arlington Beach. What? I wouldn't have got that either, Matt. No. What is Vespa's alias? Um, Dorothy Beach. No, it was a great <laughs> reference to kind of Bond girl names of old. Stephanie Broadchest. <laughs> uh, that is good. Which unfortunately Matt, named... I think we're both going to go O for here. Yeah, this is definitely not... This is this never let James do any quizzes again. <laughs> Who was the director of photography? Go on. This is stuff that's spoken as dialogue in the film All you've right. just watched. Shut your face. Which unfortunately named character posts the big blind in the first hand of the poker tournament? Oh. Uh, oh, you know, I could say something hilarious, but I don't know. Pass. It's Mr. Fukutu, and if you have the oh. subtitles on, it looks suspiciously like Mr. Fuck You Too. <laughs> and finally, Matt, how does Felix Leiter describe himself when he first introduces himself to Bond? A real douchebag at the poker table. No. Oh, so nice. A brother from Langley. Oh, good lord. Uh, Joe, Matt did go 0 for 4 there. Uh, surely you can't do any worse. Miami, Bahamas, or Venice? Bahamas, please. Bahamas. When he first arrives at the Ocean Club, <laughs> what make and model of car is Bond surprisingly driving? It's a Ford Fiesta. It's a Ford Mondeo. I'm going to give you one point for the actual make, even though you didn't get the model. Uh, more product placement. What make of car does Bond crash in the parking lot of the Ocean Club? It's a Range Rover. It is, for a point. What? How is the security footage at the Ocean Club stored? There's a running uh, theme to these questions. Uh, oh, right. Uh, on a... On a yeah, uh, uh, on a Cisco hard drive. No, it was on Blu-ray disc as Sony Blu-ray. was desperately trying to promote that format <laughs> against, <laughs> against HD DVD. Brilliant. And finally, not a product placement question. What mistake does the dealer at the Ocean Club make when announcing Bond's winning hand? Let's see. Bond has... He he they uh, he does the the full house in the wrong way. It says like uh, aces full of sixes instead of no. Uh, first yeah. of all, it's a she, and she makes right. the mistake of saying trip aces when Bond That's actually it. has a set, set of aces. Set of aces, right? Uh, Matt, Miami or Venice? <sighs> Miami. Miami. I've got a considerable lead at this point. right? Oh, you're all over it, mate. What's the password? For the security door at Miami International Airport. Oh my God, dude! Oh. the thing is, James has asked me this question before, and I still don't know uh, it. Ellipsis. It's a major plot point in the movie. I consider this to be a gimme. Well done, Matt. I'm going to give you two points for that. Wow. <laughs> See. Pity. What's the name of the exhibition where Demetrios leaves the bag receipt on a poker table? Oh. Oh no, I'm. I don't know. Is it? Is it Bodies in Motion? No, it's Body Worlds. <sighs> body Worlds. This is a toughie. Oh, God. Really? What's the number of the bag receipt? <laughs> 13. <laughs> Fuck! No, it was 53. But there's still a question. So I mean, close. there's a three in there. What's the significance of that number? A 53? Yeah. That is the number that... No, I've... I've uh, it That's is... how... How, nope. go on, no, go for it, Joe, if you've got a funny one. That's how old Casino Royale is. It's actually the year the book was first published, 1953. Oh, I think Joe should get something for that myself. He doesn't no, need no. any more points. All right, fair enough. Okay, and because you have such a huge lead, I'm going to let Matt steal in case you can't get questions right, just to try and keep it close. I wouldn't worry too much, Joe. We're going to Venice, Joe, and I want you to tell me what colour is Vespa's cell phone? Green. It's not. Matt, you can steal. Red. It was white. Told you. <laughs> Joe, what's the name of the character who sends Vespa clandestine text messages? He has glasses with, like, one dark lens on. Ralph. Matt, do you know? Greedo. does begin with a G. It was Gettler. <laughs> they are. That's half point. Oh, yeah, Gettler. Classic yeah, Gettler. I remember him. We all talk about him a lot. Joe, where is the <laughs> bank located from which Vespa withdraws the $120 million? A street in Venice. It's a very famous part of Venice. Where is it? 
downtown Venice. Matt, you can steal. St. Peter's Square. St. Mark's Square. Oh, St. Mark's Square. <laughs> He's a friend of Peter's, actually. Peter wasn't available. I'm pretty sure if you check the map, it's downtown Venice. <laughs> Joe, what four words taken from the last line of the book does Bond utter following Vesper's suicide? I will avenge you. <laughs> no. What four words? Um, can you fly, Bobby? <laughs> the producers insisted that this line be kept, even though there was some resistance. The bitch is dead. Oh, I say that's oh, harsh. Oh, Jesus. Um, wow. Just out of interest, let's see if either of you knows the tiebreaker question. No, no we don't. According to IMDb.com, <laughs> the estimated budget of Casino Royale. You just watched it. How much do you think it cost? I have absolutely no idea whatsoever. I'll let Joe go first, and then I'll just go up or down randomly. $101 million. Oh, I would say I would say more than that. Yeah, $150 million. Wow. At the end of this week's Super what Fan Quiz. What a fucking cop-out more than that. What a fucking... Joe, Joe, you've Joe, won. Give me, like, don't worry about it. it was Seven a points to four, Joe. You've actually crushed... A round of Superman versus Stapes. And can I point out, by the way, that Matt, you rewatched the whole movie. He only rewatched certain scenes of it. Do you know what? Would now be a good time to tell you that I didn't watch the whole film again. Oh, <laughs> shit. Bombshell. Because I planned to. I had to lie to James. James earlier on said to me, Did you get hold of a copy? He said, Yeah, yeah, I found a friend who got it. I couldn't find anyone with a copy. I couldn't find anywhere to download it. And all I did was you I went back. couldn't find anyone with a copy or couldn't find $6 no, to fucking exactly. rent it on iTunes. Well, I, I left it quite late to do that and then really panicked. So what I did was I went back and watched as many of the, the clips as I could find. The funny thing was, I found all of the poker scenes, which I thought would be the key thing to rewatch. Because in fairness, I actually only have watched that film within the last year, because it comes around a lot on the telly. It does. And I do tend to actually watch that, and Quantum of Solace, just to be controversial, whenever it comes on the telly. So I felt quite confident that I could engage, because I, I have a pretty good memory of it. Not the colour of somebody's phone in one instance. To be fair, you didn't know you were going to have to be taking part in the Superfan quiz. Well, well, and actually, do you know what? I've got a funny feeling. Most of those questions, I don't think I would have known the colour of a phone. I don't think I would have known the, the name of the guy with the glasses. I've got a feeling that those questions, actually, me watching again, would have made a lot of difference to. The funny thing was, in watching these clips on YouTube, a lot of the poker scenes, somebody had interspersed it with hand analysis. <laughs> so, you wow. know the one with the pocket twos, is it starts with a hand, and then the film freezes and on the screen comes just this static graphic showing you're holding what the villain's holding your percentage of winning it was really funny somebody had spliced together like poker stars tv kind of coverage with the hands as they went so i got a little bit of extra juice out of watching that way but i'd apologize i lied do not take this victory away from joe i know it was still legit well done joe well done Joe, just before you run through what's coming up on next week's show, I did say earlier on that we would not do uh, a classic movie Monday next week. We'll probably revisit this feature in August. We have to agree, though, that if we are going to do a retrospective review of the movie, everyone, he looks at Joe Stapleton and Matt Brown, has to watch <laughs> the bloody movie. Do you know Look, what? I it did my absolute best. Like, today was... Look, I put more you hours into this podcast today... The, the what, thing, James? You have a week. You could have watched Casino Royale instead of La La Land, which I think Matt and I would both agree would yeah. be a better use of your time. Yeah. Anyway, we're running out of time, Joe. Tell us what's coming up next week. Coming up next week, as big a star as Kevin Hart, possibly at least for our audience, Daniel Negreanu is going to be on the show. Always takes the time to give us a little bit of his time during the World Series of Poker, which we appreciate, which means more World Series of Poker news coming up. James, how many shows until we take our summer break? Only one. Just one more. That's yeah. it. Daniel oh, will I see us off for the end of this season, and then we'll take a six-week break. We'll be back, I think, on the 9th or 10th of August, and then we'll be ramping things up again before Barcelona. Great. Well, I'm not good at budgeting, so I'm going to need to build for those six weeks anyway. But uh, until <laughs> then, uh, we are all out of time for this week's show. For James Hardigan and Matt Brown, I am Joe Stapleton saying, smell you later. <laughs> <laughs>